arms. Give it your all. We'll drink the wine to the corpse dry and kiss the girls and then the cry and toss the dice until we fly and dance with Jack of the Shadows. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Tales of Red Arm. I'm your host Justin, and we are jumping into chapter 39, Threads in the Pattern. So, uh, continuing off of the last episode, basically, they meet the Aiel, Avienda, uh, Bane, and Chiad, and are taken to another Aiel, Jolene, who's taking care of another Aiel, <laughs> all of them women, um, named, I believe it's Dal, Dylan, Dalian. Sometimes they're just a little over overkill in terms of it's d-a-i-l-i-n-s so it's like dalen i guess maybe dalen makes more sense i guess i don't know it's there's a couple of weird pronunciations for words like these but i'm gonna go with dalen and call it that um so dalen was injured naive heals her um and in the process of all this going on um Egwene and elaine are talking to bane and chiad trying to figure out some stuff and even to avienda But, um, after Nynaeve finishes the, at the end of the last chapter in chapter 38, uh, Nynaeve has healed Dalen and Jolene's like, wow, all the Aiel women are the Frateries, my, uh, Maidens of the Spear are wowed by the fact that there's no gashes, everything seems to be put back together, you know, she's been healed. Um... So they all get to follow in 90s orders to clean her up and everything and get her new clothes and all that jazz. And Avienda's like, oh, uh, a wise one in the jagged spire sept is said to be able to do this and one in the four holes sept, but I always thought it was boasting. But then she turns to Nynaeve is like, I said, I, I owe you a great debt. My water is yours and the shade of my sept hold will welcome you. Dalen is my second sister. And obviously Nynaeve's not sure what this means, but she's like, she is my mother's sister's daughter. Close blood, I said, I owe you a blood debt. And she, she's a cousin. <laughs> That's the easiest way to say it. She's just a cousin. Um, her aunt's daughter, aka her cousin. Um, and Anive's just like, if anybody's going to blow spill any blood, I'm just going to spill it myself. So if you want to repay me, tell me if there's a ship at Jereen, the village south of here. And like, oh, the one with the white lion banner with soldiers? There was one there when I looked yesterday. The old stories mentioned the ships, but it was strange to see one. And I was like, well, hopefully it's there. So she starts putting her stuff together. And she's like, okay, she just needs food and rest. And don't let people stick swords in her. And Avienda's just like, well, what comes, comes, I said I. It's very fatalistic of the Aiel, but... They, they're, they're not, and we'll learn a bit more about this later, but it, they're not, like, they're not eager for death, but they don't fight it. When it comes, it comes, is literally what they're saying. Um, but then Egwene wants to ask Avienda, knowing how they feel about rivers, how do they cross them? And it's like, there's one river nearly as big as the Arnon between here and the Waste, and Elaine's like, well, it's the Algoenia. Unless you go around it, um, which would be going all the way up to Kinslayer's Dagger and then going down. But there's still other rivers, but a lot of them have bridges. And this is what 
Avienda says, and it's like, well, you have a lot of rivers and some things called bridges that we had to cross, and some of them we could wade, um, which obviously was probably nerve-wracking for them. But then in this part, for the rest, Jolene remembered that wood floats. <laughs> By the way, wood floats. Oh, that's right. And then she slaps the trunk of a tall white wood. And it's like, these are big, but they float as well as a branch. We found dead ones and made ourselves a ship, a little ship of two or three lashed together to cross the big river. She says, matter of factly. And Egwene's like, wow. It's like, ish. Like if I was that afraid of doing something as the Aiel obviously were of the rivers, could she make her face it the way they did? And she doesn't think she's nearly as brave or courageous as them. But then she's also thinking, like, well, what about the Black Aja? Have you stopped being afraid of them? And she's like, well, it's a little bit different than that, in her head, obviously. It's like, There's not bravery in that. I either hunt them or I sit like a rabbit waiting for a hawk. It's better to be the hammer than the nail, is a little quote she tells herself in her head. And he was like, well, time for us to head out. And Elaine's like, hold on a second. I mean, why are you out here amongst all this hardship of dealing with rivers and stuff? And Avieta's like, well, we haven't really come that far. We were one of the last ones to leave. But the wise ones nipped at me like wild dogs circling a calf, saying I had other duties, which we will learn about later. Um, and she's like, these these ones, the other Aiel with her, stayed back to taunt me in my misery. At least that's what they said. But I don't think the, the wise ones would have let me go if they had not been there to companion me. And Bane's like, well, we seek the one foretold. And then uh, she's basically holding Dalen uh, while Chiad puts a shirt of brown linen on her. And Bane continues with, like, we're looking for he who comes with the dawn. Which, obviously you guys should be aware with or aware of by now since the uh <laughs> it's been mentioned i lost track how many times at this point probably at least five um and then she adds like he will lead us out of the threefold land the prophecies say he was born of far to rise my but then lane's like but i thought maidens of the spear weren't allowed to have children i i thought i was taught that and again like the previous chapter banshee almost give each other exasperated looks as if Elaine's almost there, but not quite. And Avienda explains to them that if a maiden bears a child, she gives the child to the wise ones of her sept, and they pass the child to another woman in such a way that none knows whose child it is. And she's explaining it like, hey, stones are hard. <laughs> um... He's like, every woman wants to foster such a child in the hope that she may raise he who comes with the dawn. And then she adds also like, or that she may, or she might give up the spear and wed the man. And Bane's like, hey, there are sometimes reasons one must give up the spear. Tuck that away for later. Um, Avinda kind of like gives them a level look, thinking that means, you know, not for children perspective, but her other duties. And he's like, well, except that now the wise ones say he is to be found here beyond the dragon wall. And then she quotes, um, I guess, either what the, I'm assuming what the wise ones said to them, which is blood of our blood mixed with the old blood raised by an ancient blood, not ours. And she's like, well, I don't want to really get it, but the wise ones say, so I have no doubts. And 
you have a lot of, a lot of questions, but I have to ask one. It's like, why do three Aes Sedai walk a land where only a hand without a knife is a hand too weak with hunger to grasp the hill? Where do you go? In other words, it's a very war-torn area in Kyrian. So, where where are you going in, in a way where you expect to not be attacked by everyone around you? And Nynaeve's like, well, we're going to Tyr, but we might stay here until the heart of the stone crumbles to dust. So, Elaine and Egwene, you know, get their packs on and everything. And the Aiel's like, Tyr? Three Aes Sedai walking through a troubled land on their way to Tyr? Why do you go to Tyr? I'm like, because they have business there. Like, that makes perfect sense. It's like, because I'm going to Tyr. Like, I... Wait, 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 wait. Why does a trader go to Tyr? Well, the trade. Why does an Isaiah go to trade? Go to Tyr because they have things to do. Like people go places because they have things to do, typically. But obviously, the plot demands an explanation. And maybe there she's trying to gather information about he comes the dawn. And they're like, well, the moment they're all laughing. Now they're as tense as they always were. And Nynaeve's like, we hunt some evil women, dark friends. And Jolene's like, ah, Shadowrunners. And Bane's like, wow, Shadowrunners in tear. And three Aes Sedai seeking the heart of the stone, is what Jihad adds. And Annie's like, I didn't say we were going to the heart of the stone. I just merely said we didn't want to wait here until it falls to dust. He's like, are you guys ready? So they, you know, get together and start thumping off with their staffs down to the south. And Egwene and Elaine make their goodbyes and follow after her. And the Aiel on their feet stood just watching them go. When the two of them are a little bit further out, Egwene's like, well, my heart almost stopped when you named yourself, Elaine. Weren't you afraid they would try to kill you or take you prisoner? The Aiel War wasn't that long ago, and, you know, whatever they said about not harming women who don't carry spears, they look ready enough to use those spears on anything to me. But Elaine's like, well, I've just learned how much I do not know about the Aiel, but I was taught that they do not think of the Aiel War as a war at all. From the way they behave towards me, I think maybe that much of what I learned is true. Or maybe it was because they think I'm I Sedai. And Egwene's like, I don't, I don't believe that. Like, no one can call three years of battles anything but a war, despite the Aiel being as strange as they are. They might fight amongst themselves. A war is a war. And Elaine's like, well, actually, no. Thousands of Aiel crossed the spine of the world, but apparently they saw themselves more like thief-takers or headsmen come after King Laman of Kyrian for the crime of cutting down Avendoraldera, which we'll get to the next one uh, in a second as an explanation. But to the Aiel, it was not a war, it was an execution. It's just like, yeah, yeah you kind of done messed up on that one because Kyrian was like literally the wealthiest nation in this side of the spine of the world until they did that one stupid thing. Now we will read this next part to kind of explain Evan Doraldera. So Evan Doraldera, according to one of Varen's lectures, had been an offshoot of the Tree of Life itself, brought to Kyrian some 500 years ago as an unprecedented offer of peace from the Aiel, given along with the right to cross the Waste, a right otherwise given to none but peddlers, gleemen, and the Tuatha'an. Much of Kyrian's wealth had been built on the trade in ivory and perfumes and spices, and most of all, silk, from the lands beyond the waste. Not even Varen had any idea of how the Aiel had come by a sapling of Aventasora, the Tree of Life, for one thing. 
The old books were clear that it made no seed. For another, no one knew where the Tree of Life was, except for a few stories that were clearly wrong, but surely the Tree of Life could have nothing to do with the Aiel. Tuck that away for later. Or of why the Aiel called the Kyrian the water sharers, or insisted their trains of merchant wagons fly a banner bearing the, the trefoil leaf of Abendasora. Probably so they don't, you know, sack them, because they know who they are. Egwene supposed grudgingly that she could understand why they had started a war, even if they did not think it was one. After King Laman cut down their gift to make a throne unlike any other in the world, Laman's sin, she had heard it called. According to Varen, not only had Kyrian's trade across the Waste ended with the war, but those Kyrian who ventured into the Waste now vanished. Varen claimed they were said to be, quote-unquote, sold as animals, end quote, uh, in the lands beyond the waste, but not even she understood how a man or a woman could be sold. Now, this has a lot of implications because it tells us a little bit of history of the Avandoraldera, Avandosora, um, the Aiel, the relation to or the relationship to the Kyrian for the longest time, um, trade and everything flowing, and the history is essentially. The Kyrian, or the Aiel were wandering, and the Kyrian basically um, offered them water, like rights to some water nearby. And the Aiel treat water very respectfully. I mean, they fight each other over it all the time, even little bits. So Kyrian's basically like, yeah, come get water whenever you want. So they gave them the title Water Sharers, and through this relational... Uh, deal between them, they basically said, hey, because you guys shared water with us and were honorable in it, um, you guys can have exclusive rights, aside from peddlers, gleemen, tuathon, to cross the waste and trade with like Shara and stuff um, and the other lands that might have some connection to it. And that's how they get all these things that they don't have in Ranland normally. And uh, at least this side of the the spine of the world and everything. But essentially, after Layman's sin, they lost that ability to do anything. Now, Varen's like, I don't understand how a man or woman could be sold, implies that they don't have slaves in Randland. They have servants, like nobility has people who work for them, but they're paid. That's just an employee position, essentially. Um, they have indentured servitude kind of thing where, like, it's just somebody's there. They just work for them for life, but they're still getting paid and taken care of and other things like that. It's not slavery. They, they could end the contract or whatever once they've fulfilled their obligations in that contract. But the rest of the world doesn't necessarily agree with or understand that concept of not selling a man or a woman. Um, clearly, because allegedly the Sharans do it. And there's other continents in the world, so it's bound to happen other places, correct? The Shan Shan have a level of indentured servitude that's on a whole other level, like to the point where you're, if your lord dies, you commit suicide to continue, you know, serving him in the afterlife or something. I don't know. It's like they take it to a whole other level. Um, and they don't even like try to run away or anything. Like it's considered 
their place in the world, etc. That kind of stuff. So it's it's interesting because you have these guys in Randland that don't seem to understand the concept of slavery. And then in other cultures and other continents, slavery is not unheard of in some ways has, I mean, Demane and Soldom have a very slave master relationship or like I'm the master, you're my pet dog or something like it's like that. But obviously the IDOM has a bit of a effect on those who use it or who are wearing it, I should say. So it's just an interesting concept because it's not one I typically would think about. Like I'm, I'm just like, Oh wait, they don't have slavery here. I didn't even think of that. Like it's just not something that comes to mind until you read it like this. But Elaine's like, you know who he who comes to the dawn is? It's got to be right, Egwene. And I Eve's, you know, ahead of them, and they're like, "Well, you don't mean." And Elaine's like, "Yeah, I I think it's gonna be Rand, because I don't know much about the prophecies of the dragon, which is strange, considering royalty." It's like, but I heard a few lines, and one I, I remember is, "On the slopes of Dragon Mount shall he be born, born of a maiden wedded to no man." It's like, Rand does look like an Aiel. At least he looks like pictures I've seen of t uh, Tigraine as well. Um, Tigraine being um, the former princess of Andor who disappeared um, mysteriously. But um, she vanished before he was born. And I hardly think she could have been his mother anyway. I think Rand's mother was a maiden of the spear. Tuck that away for later, because it's going to be pretty useful, valid, or otherwise, for later in the series. And Rand's like, well, I don't know. I mean, Rand's birth, like what she knows, is basically Tam Althor and, Car and Kari Althor um, were the, his parents, quote-unquote. Kari had kind of like reddish hair, so kind of just assumed... It was just natural, and she's an outsider, and Tam had left the two rivers, gone to see the world, and come back, but they don't know too much about that regard. But according to Moraine, they couldn't be real mother and father, and Nynaeve had sometimes seemed to know some things about Rand birth, but she's like, well, I doubt she's going to let me in on this secret. So they catch up to Nynaeve, and Nynaeve's just staring straight ahead, but then Elaine's like, oh, wait. You know, you handled that very well, Nynaeve, the healing and the rest. I don't think they ever doubted you were nice to die or that we were all were because of the way you bore yourself. And Egwene's like, yeah, I guess you did a good job. It's the first time I've ever actually watched what it was done during a healing. It makes lightning look like I'm mixing oat cake. And then Nynaeve kind of gives a surprise smile and it's like, oh, thank you, and reaches over and gives... Egwene's hair a little tug, the way she did when Egwene was a little girl, and Egwene's like, I'm not a little girl anymore! And it's just like, it was a moment, it's familiarity, it's just how they see things. And it's, you can't expect Nynaeve, who saw you as a young woman, to just stop treating you like a young woman because reasons. Like, just because time's gone longer. I mean, like, think of it like your, your dad or your mom, and 
They know you for years and years. You're 20 years old now or 25 or something. And they still treat you like a little kid. I'm like, well, that's because to them, you are their little kid. Like, it's just the same relational thing. Like, if anything, this means that Nynaeve and Egwene were very close. So Egwene getting upset at that shows she's very much a teenager and very much not mature. But then um, they go for a little bit longer and... All of a sudden, uh, Elaine's watching the trees, but then she screams, Look out! And then Egwene jerks her head around, and then men are stepping out from among the trees with slings whirling around their heads. And she reaches for Sidar, but something hits her in the head, and there it goes. Then we find that Egwene is kind of like swaying, and pretty much. They hear, or Egwene hears the voice of a man with a rough voice about, you know, better than lying all day waiting for, uh, for dark. Who knows if another ship could come close in? I don't trust the boat. It leaks. Basically trying to use a boat to basically become river brigands that jump on ships and grab all the cargo after finishing off the uh, crew or something. And another person's like, well, you better hope Adam does believe you did see those rings before you did decide. He wants fat cargoes, not women. And the other one's like, oh, well, Aiden could do with his leaky boat and the car cargoes too. But her eyes open and she's got little silver flecked spots dancing on her vision. She's tied to the back of a horse with her wrists and ankles joined by a rope running underneath the horse's belly and her, ha her hair hanging down. It's a bit daylight. But she cranes her head to look around, and there's just a lot of rough-dressed men and horses surrounding her. And she can't really tell if not even Elaine had been captured. But some of the men have some armor, battered helmets, dented breastplate, jerkins, all that kind of stuff. But they all wore swords at their waist or their back. And she gets really mad, but she's like, I'm not going to be a prisoner. I won't be bound. Well, she literally is. She reached for Cider, but... There's a pain in the top of her head. She, she stuffles a moan. Now, I found this a little interesting because it implies that there's some level of mental capacity for channeling the one power. If you are not in control of your head or your mind or if it's in pain or something, it can severely affect what you're doing. Um, like, you're not going to be able to cast any quote-unquote spells if... Um, you have that type of situation. And then she kind of sees that there's this log palisaded around them on top of a large round earthen mound. And there's a bunch of men with bows standing on a wooden walkway, just enough to see over the uh, logs. And she's basically just a little structure with a couple sheds and whatnot. And um, there's got to be about a hundred men in this area. It's got cook fires, tethered horses, a lot of unwashed men. There's some goats, pigs, chickens, all this type of stuff. And, you know, what you'd expect in a bandit camp that's been probably ravaging merchants for a while now. But then she eventually sees Nynaeve and Elaine with the same situation, bound head down across the saddleless uh, horses as she is. But the very end of Nynaeve's braid dragged across the dirt as her horse stirs. Now, I find this funny is because either the A, the horse is laying down, which would probably crush Nynaeve's arms and legs, so it's probably unlikely to be that, or it's standing up, 
And her hair is just so long that when she's slung over, which you'd expect somewhere, probably somewhere between her waist and her midsection is where it kind of like rotates over the back of the horse. But horses are big. If your hair's falling down, that means it's a long, long braid. Just wanted to point that out there as a good description for what you might have been seeing Nynaeve as, as we were going through the story, add a really long braid to it. Keep in mind that her head's down, so it's coming out of the back of her head, whether it's down to the base of the back of her neck, or if it's something that's a higher level braid that's got more flexibility. There's a good half foot foot that is just longer, I guess. So it's it's a it's a long stretch of hair. So they're like, oh I can't I can't be a prisoner again. I'm not gonna happen again, no. But she tries to reach for Sidar, but it's not so bad with the pain. Just like somebody had dropped a rock on her head. Um but she can't really get to the rose aspect of her training. But then a man panics and says, one of them's awake. And Egwene's like trying to look limp and unthreatening. She's like, how am I going to look threatening? Tied up like a sack of meal. It's like, burn me. I have to buy time. I have to. And she's like, I'm not going to harm you. And the sweaty faced fellow comes running towards her. And she's trying to tell him, but she doesn't know how much is actually said before something crashes into her head and then darkness hits her. Very unlucky, these ones. So, she wakes up a little easier the next time. Her head still kind of hurts, but not as much. Now, I thought this was funny, because she's gotten two concussions. The other two have only gotten at least one that we know of. I mean, hypothetically, maybe they got more. But as far as we're, we know from the book and the lore itself, they only got hit once, but Egwene wakes up twice. That makes sense. Um, she's like, wow, I don't want to throw up, you know, I'm a little dizzy. But she gets herself to her hands and knees and she's like, she's not tied in any way, which again, seems really stupid of whoever put them in there, but whatever. But she's got the sour wine, a sour wine taste and a bitter in her mouth. But she, you know, tries to look through some of the surrounding walls. But then she sees that there's a crack enough to show her of light that shows her Nynaeve and Elaine sprawling on the dirt. And there's blood on Elaine's face. But neither of them moved except for the rise of the fall of their chest as they breathe. So Gwaine's trying to like, do I wake them immediately or do I see what's on the other side of the wall? So she looks on the other side of the wall with a peeking through the logs. And she's like, well, I guess I have to find out what's guarding us before I wake them up. Like, either way, you just wake them up and be like, all right, keep your keep your eyes and ears peeled. <laughs> she's afraid that the reason she's doing it this way is because she might be afraid that she can't wake them up. Um, And she also thinks about the blood on Elaine's face and is like, OK, how did how did Nynaeve help Dalen? Now, the next room is larger, and it's a bit, win it's windowless, it's kind of like a table in the middle with a bunch of people in it. Um, there's about a dozen people looking at a large, fair-haired man who could have been handsome if his face were cleaner. Um, he's got a hand on a sword hilt, 
and another one pushing something she can't make out in the circles on the tabletop. But then the door opens, and a lanky man with his left ear gone. He's like, well, he's no come yet. He's missing two fingers on his left hand. He's like, I don't like dealing with that kind. And the big fair-haired man doesn't really think anything, pay attention to him at all, really. He just keeps going on what he's doing. He's like, three Aes Sedai. Good prices for Aes Sedai if you have the belly to deal with the right buyer. If you're ready to risk having your belly ripped open through your mouth, should you try selling him a pig in a sack? Not so safe as slitting crew's throats on a trader ship, eh, Coke? Not so easy, wouldn't you say? And there's a bit of a nervous stir, and they're like, whatever. And the fellow with the shifty eyes is like, hey, they are Aes Sedai, Adam. She recognizes the voice, the man who made the coarse suggestions. He's like, they have, they must be. The rings prove it, I tell you. And they're like, oh, they took my ring. And the lanky man's like, I don't like it. You know, any of them being Aes Sedai could kill us all. Fortune pricked me. You'd be stone-carved fool, Coke, and I ought to carve your throat. What if one of them do wake up before, you know, he gets here? Fat man with a hoarse voice is like, hey. They're not going to wake for hours. This guy's a gap-tooth sneer. Like, look at these details. Gap-tooth sneer. That's detail. And dedication. But then he's like, hey, my granny taught me some stuff that we fed them. They're not going to wake for hours. They'll sleep till sunrise, and he'll come along before then. But Gwen's thinking, like, you know, whatever it was that you gave us, your granny lied to you. Rather, he probably didn't think properly about what it was. She's like, she probably should have strangled you in your cradle. And she's like, well, before this he comes here, I'm going to, you know, get us out of here while the getting's good. And, of course, she thinks the Sean Chan when, like, collecting them. So she crawls over to Nynaeve, and Nynaeve just seems to be sleeping. So she's like, all right, let's just start with shaking her. And Nanny's eyes pop open, but before she could say anything, really, Egwene pops her hand over her mouth. And she's like, hey, we're being held prisoner, and there are a dozen of men on the other side of that wall, and more outside. A lot more. They gave us something to make sleep, but it wasn't very successful. Don't you remember yet? And then he was like, I, I remember. And then she's like thinking, tasting her mouth, and she's like, huh, sleep well, Root. The fools gave us sleep well, Root, mixed in the wine. Wine near gone to vinegar, it tastes like. A lot of fermentation. It's like, quick, do you remember anything what I taught you? What does sleep well root do? And the line's like, well, it clears headaches so you can sleep. And then she thinks about it. And she's like, well, it makes you a little drowsy, but that's really all. And he's like, the fat man hadn't listened well to his granny who told him. He's like, all they did was help clear the pain of being hit in the head. And he's like, definitely exactly that. And once we wake Elaine, we'll give them a thinking they won't forget. So she tries to crouch behind Elaine, but she's like, I think I saw more than 100 of them outside when they brought us in. I'm sure you don't mind if I use the power as a weapon this time, and someone is apparently coming to buy us. And I mean to do something to that fellow that would make him walk in the light till the day he dies. I'm like, well, you can just make him die, and then, then you solve the problem. But Danny was heading over to Elaine, and she's like, what's the matter? And... She's like, oh, she's hurt badly, Egwene. I think her skull's broken, and she is barely breathing. She's dying as surely as Dalen was. And I was like, well, can't you do something? You have to. And then he was like, well, they took my herbs. I can't, not without my herbs. Egwene's realizing, surprised, that Nanny's almost to the point of tears. Like, burn them, I can't do it without. And suddenly she seizes 
Elaine's shoulders, like she's going to just lift her off the ground and shake her until she's awake. She's like, burn you, girl. I did not bring you all this way to die. I should have left you scrubbing pots. I should have tied you up in a sack for Matt to carry to your mother. I will not let you die on me. Do you hear me? I won't allow it. And then all of a sudden, because she's angry enough, Sidar springs her up around her, and Elaine's eyes and mouth open wide together. Now, Gwen gets her hands over Elaine's mouth just in time to muffle any sound. At least that's what she thinks. But as she touched her, the eddies of Nanyu's healing caught her like a straw on the edge of a whirlpool. Cold froze her to the bone, meeting heat that seared outward as if it meant to crisp her flesh. The world vanquished in a sensation of rushing, falling, flying, spinning. Sounds kind of like an MRI to me, since I've had a couple of those and not a pleasant experience for the brain in that regard. Now, I did think this was interesting because if you have healing going on and you get these kind of transferal of healing, I guess. So by Moraine touching soldiers at the early beginning of the book or by Nynaeve touching somebody, you can get still that um, effect, I guess, of healing just by touching the person who's being healed. So it's it's very much a by-touch transfer of the one power. But also, it has a, what do you call it, uh, a transmission factor, I guess. Like, if you touch somebody, it heals them, and it goes to the next person touches them. For how long, I don't know. It's just at least mentioned here that it happens, and that Egwene basically feels the healing because she gets healed alongside Elaine does. But when it's finally over with, she's breathing hard and staring down at Elaine, who stared over the hands that she had pressed over the woman's mouth. And Egwene's headache's gone, and the backwash of what Nynaeve had done apparently had been enough for the whatever that was needed. Now, healing's apparently this just, like, find and repair anything and everything that's wrong with the person. It doesn't, like... I don't understand why they ever had delving when you could just like touch somebody and heal them and then be like, all right, that's it. Because in every situation it either heals everything or it doesn't heal anything. And it always heals when they use the one power. So it's kind of just a little weird concept that I'm trying to figure out. But Nynaeve's like, Oh light doing it that way. It was like peeling off my own skin. Oh light. How do you feel Elaine? And Gwen pulls her hands away and Elaine's like, Tired and hungry? Where are we? There were men with slings. Then Egwene kind of just fills her in on the details, and Elaine's face gets darker and darker as, you know, she hears more and more information. Uh, when I say darker, darker, I don't mean, like, her skin tone. I mean, like, literally her expression. Her expression darkens. And then he's like, well, now we're going to show these louts what it means to meddle with us. She, you know, uses Sidar or gathers inside R and Elaine's trying to get to her feet, but she gets her side R glow around her and Egwene does the same thing. They look through the cracks again to see if what they had to deal with. And now there's three merger all in the rooms. Oh, wow. That advanced really quick. And apparently they did not feel the healing that just went on or anything. So either they just walked in the door and they were too far away 
or a couple things. I, I don't really know. Like, it, it seems kind of inconsistent in this part of the story, but whatever. So they have their dead black garb hanging unnaturally still, and they stood at the table. But every man but Aiden or Adden had uh, moved as far as they away they could, like their backs are against the wall or something, and their eyes are on the dirt floor. But across from the table, Adden's face was staring at the Isle of Stairs, but he had sweat making runnels on the dirt in his face. So the Fade picks up the ring from the table and is like, oh, it's bigger and heavier than the Circle of Gold and the Great Serpent Rings. And Anive gasps all of a sudden, fumbles at the neck of her dress, and it's like, oh, something's missing, obviously. So the Halfman hisses that there's three Aes Sedai, and one carried this, and it was a big thud as Merge all tossed it back on the table. She's like, they are the ones I seek. You'll be re well rewarded, human. And then he's like, all right, we got to take them by surprise. What kind of locks hold the door? So Gwen kind of looks around to see the lock on the door, and it's just an iron thing on a chain, heavy enough to hold an enraged bull. He's like, oh, be ready. So she thins one flow of earth to finer than a hair, hoping that the half man couldn't sense a small channeling, and wove it into the iron chain, into the tiniest bits of it. But one of the, the, one of the Merdral, or the eyeless, uh, lifts his head, another one leaves across the table, and he's like, I itch, human. Are you sure they sleep? Adam swallowed, and he's like, yeah. The third merger all turned to stare at the door to the room where the Egwene, Nynaeve, and Elaine are crouched, and then the chain fell to the floor. The merger all stared at it, snarling, and the outer door swung open, black-veiled death flowing in from the night. This is where it gets chaotic, because I don't think this was what anybody, including the reader, was expecting. The room erupts in screams and shouts as men clawed for their swords to fight stabbing Aiel's spears. The Merjol drew blades blacker than their garb and fought for their lives, too. <laughs> Egwene had once seen six cats all fighting each other, and this was that a hundredfold. And yet in seconds, silence reigned, or almost silence. Now, I'd like to point out, all of this happened in mere seconds. Remember that. Mere seconds, this all happened. Every human not wearing a black veil lay dead with a spear through him, one pinned into the wall. Keep in mind, Aiel can throw their spears. Um, two Aiel lay still as well amid the jumble of overturned furniture and dead. So the three Merjol are back to back in the center of the room with a black sword in hand, one clutching his side as if he wounded, but another he gave no sign of. Another one had a long gash down its pale face, but it did not bleed. A.K.A. Eyesless don't have blood is the thing I can come away from this. That or he has a magical healing property, which I doubt the Dark One allows healing magical properties like that. So either they were bioengineered by Aganor and others to not bleed or to heal themselves, or whatever, which obviously doesn't matter because there's, you know... A little uh one of the merge all has one clutching aside as if he's wounded but he doesn't really have any wound that we could say like he takes the pain or the wound but he's not like gushing blood or anything but around them was five aiel still alive they're crouching and outside you could hear screams and clashes of metal that said more aiel still fought in the night but the room was a softer sound, and they, as they circled, they all drummed their spears against their small hide bucklers. Thrum, 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 and just that over and over and over again. And the merge all turned with them, and their eyeless faces seemed uncertain, uneasy that their fear, their gaze struck into every 
human heart did not seem to touch these. <laughs> and I was like, they all know me are humans. <laughs> but then one of the Aiel's like, dance with me, Shadow Man. And he sounds like a younger guy. And then dance with me, Eyeless. And that's a woman. So like, what we can tell is that the way the Aiel men or the Aiel are veiled not a whole lot to tell them, especially when they're crouched. Not a whole lot to tell you if it's a man or it's a woman just by a quick glance because of the way they wear their cad and sore and all that stuff. There's just like a variety of them. And all of the Aiel are going, dance with me. And then he was like, I think it's about time. I'm like, you could have just come out at the first second and started going kaboomy. Like, what's taking you so long? But, um... And then the merge roll, all of a sudden, the Aiel ceased to exist. <laughs> and <laughs> at least for the Aiel, the merge roll seemed to cease to exist. So, like, both parties that are like at each other's throats just stop and stare at these three women who pop out of this little door. And the Aiel look at Egwene and above their veils, not sure if they were seeing. And one of the women gasps loudly, which we'll find out who that is later. Uh, the merge roll's eyeless stare was different. Egwene could almost feel the halfman's knowledge of their own deaths, which I love. It's great. Uh, the halfman knew women embracing their true source when they saw them, and she was sure she could feel a desire for her death, too. If theirs, if theirs could buy hers, an even stronger desire to strip the soul out of her flesh and make it both playthings for the shadow, a desire to, like, she's she's getting this from just, like, staring into his eyes, and that's what's supposed to be, like, the fear aspect. But she just steps out of the room, but it seems like they'd been meeting that stare for hours, and he's like, well, take... I'll take no more of this. And she unleashes this flow of fire and flames burst out of the three merge all spouting in every direction. And they shriek like splintered bones jamming a meat grinder. I would love to hear that sound. and know what that thing sounds like, but I can kind of picture it in my head. Um, and she forgets that she's not alone. So Elaine and I need her with there. And then as the flames consume the halfman, the very air seems to push them together midair, crushing them into a ball of fire and blackness that grows smaller and smaller. And their screams dig at Egwene's spine. Something shot out from Nynaeve's hands. A thin bar of white light that made noonday sun seem dark. A bar of fire that made molten metal seem cold. Connecting to her hand, from her hands to the Merdral. And they ceased to exist as if they had never been. This is a point of contention that I will bring up in a second when we get a little bit more information. But this has bothered me from passages like this in the series to other passages that bring up something else. So Nynaeve kind of startled and is like, whoa, what? And the glow is lost from her. And Elaine's like, what was that? And Nynaeve's like, I don't know. I was just angry and they wanted to, and I don't know. I just, I did the thing, you know, the thing. And Egwene's thinking, Balefire. She doesn't know how she knows, but she knows that she knows. Don't ask me how that works. I don't know. But she, you know, reluctantly releases Sidar and made it release its grip on her, but she didn't know which was more difficult. But she's like, I didn't think, see a thing of what she actually did. Like, she, Egwene's constantly kicking herself for not knowing, like, I saw, I saw Nynaeve heal, but I didn't get actually see what she did. And I saw Nynaeve do this, but I didn't get to see what she did. Like, ah! So, <laughs> um, the Aiel begin to unveil a little hastily, like to say, oh, we're not, we're not fighting. We're, we're done fighting. Fighting is over. So three of the five are male, one an older man with more than touches of gray in his dark red hair. 
And then these were tall Aielmen, young and old. And they had calm assurance in their eyes, but they had this dangerous grace of motion that Egwene was associated with warders. Death rode on their shoulders, and they knew it was there and were not afraid. One of the women was obviously Avienda, and the screams and shouts outside were dying away. And Nynaeve started towards the fallen Aiel, and the older man's like, no need, I said I. They took Shadow Man Steel. Now, Here's the point of contention I have with this, and feel free to throw in your two two cents if you like. I always add at the very end of every video, essentially, how to get a hold of me if you want to chat or explain what you might think might be the case. But this annoys me because remember, seconds have passed. This is this is not a battle of hours. Seconds have passed. And they pop out burst them into flames, crush them into a ball, and hit them with Balefire. All in seconds. Now, with Balefire, the way it operates, which I think we've covered before, we'll be covering it more again anyway, because Refresher Course is always useful. But Balefire, essentially, when it touches something, it that something ceases to exist. Like, if you have a house and you have a cornerstone and you hit the cornerstone with Balefire, it kind of, like, collapses things because the cornerstone is literally the cornerstone. It's what holds the house together. And if that stone disappears, the house will fall apart because it's, like, it can't hold together without the cornerstone and it's like the cornerstone wasn't there. Um, so, in this case... A small amount of the Balefire and the one power in the Balefire. Because the more you put into it, the bigger it is, the more damage it does, and its its effect, which is like reversing time. Now, they cease to exist as if they had never been there. This could be descriptive of what she sees. Like, they just aren't there anymore. So they, they are as if they weren't, right? But everyone's obviously knowledge of them is still there because the older man's like they took shadow man steel. Well, if they hadn't ceased to exist, or if they had ceased to exist back in time or something like going, rewinding a little bit of time, which is allegedly how this works due to how the series itself explains it. Um, in that regard, they should technically have forgotten at least, or not necessarily forgotten, but and the effect would be reversed. So in mere seconds, less than a minute, and then Nynaeve hits all three of them. Now, the old man implies that the two fallen Aesid, the two fallen Aiel took Shadow Man Steel. So they weren't killed by the men who were pinned to the wall or dead on the floor or on the table or whatever. So they died from the Merdral, and the Merdral got evaporated backwards in time. Not very much because the Balefire was small. It was a thin bar of white. Just, I, I always say it's like, it's like a pencil. It's just, you throw a pencil at somebody and then, boop, they're gone. Now, it's probably smaller than a pencil, honestly. But even with that, like if you hit somebody with the smallest amount, you're talking like five, ten seconds of time backwards in time, right? Like a small one. If you hit with a big one, you you can go hours, potentially even days back, depending on how much you're using. 
which has dire consequences, don't get me wrong, but that's how it's supposed to function. And then the people who are aware of what's going on will see things differently. And there's several instances of this in um, the book it's the book series itself. So it's not like it just is exclusive to one thing. But the older man's like, they took Shadowman Steel, not knowing that it's Balefire. Nynaeve doesn't know it's Balefire. Egwene apparently knows it's Balefire. And, you know, just like... But none of them probably know what it does. But as a reader and a viewer, and we know at least a little bit about it, it's a little weird that it doesn't go backwards. Because, again, seconds happen. They're talking, the the bandits, the Murdral, and all of a sudden the door bursts open at the exact same time that the chain falls off the door. A bunch of Aiel pile in the room. Everyone's dying, and then seconds later, it's over with. Like, that's how battles work. They, they're very short. They don't take super, super crazy long amount of time. They're like 15 minutes for, like, a Viking on, you know, Northumbrian soldiers raid. Like, it's, they clash, people die, one wins, the other one doesn't typically, or they both back off because they both take heavy losses, but it's not a long, arduous fight that lasts hours and hours and hours normally. And in this situation, that's not how it happened. It was very, very short. It was all blink your eyes and, like, in that blink, everybody's dead except for five Aiel and three Merge all in this room. So they burst open and like, alright, and then do everything. And even... Egwene's like, oh, time slows, and she gets all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. Like, all this happens, and we're like, we're not even 30 seconds into this, right? Fire bursts out of every part of their bodies, they get compacted into a little ball, and then bale-fired. Even the small bale-fire should have gone back far enough to where the Aiel who had taken Shadowman Steel would no longer have taken Shadowman Steel because the Shadowmen themselves ceased to exist in that time where they would have taken the Shadowman Steel, therefore they wouldn't. In other words, if you hit somebody with hard enough bale fire, it would transport them backwards to the part. Like so like person A and person B are fighting. Person A kills person B. Person A gets hit by bale fire. Person B comes back to life because person A wasn't there to actually kill them because he was gone he ceased to exist before that time and that moment could happen thus a lot of paradoxical time problems and black hole potentialities it's essentially what it does so in this situation they shouldn't have taken shadow man steel because not enough time had passed and balefire would have reversed it at least a couple seconds which would have been plenty of seconds to get them back but for whatever reason they don't, which kind of bothers me, but it is what it is. But then Nynaeve checks on them, pulls their veil away, and one of them's Dalen. And of course, she's pissed about that. She's like, burn you, burn you. Like, it could be Dalen, it could be the man with the gray in the hair, Avienda, or just Aiel in general. He's like, I didn't heal her so she could die like this. I'm like, yeah, you haven't exactly healed wounded in an army, in, in, in an army that's in their uh, hospital wing or whatever. Like, as soon as those guys get healed, they go back to the front and they probably die. Like, this is how this thing works. It's like, oh, I healed a little boy of his uh, scraped knee and then he went out and then, you know, a haystack fell on top of him and crushed him. Like, I didn't heal you just for you to go die. It's kind of a ridiculous concept, let's be honest. 
And then obviously Avienda, the clear headed one here is like, death comes to us all. But obviously Nynaeve, the emotionally charged one, rounds on her. And the Aiel are exchanging glances, not like sure if Nynaeve's going to do to them what had been done to the murder hall. And they don't have fear in their eyes, just awareness that this is a potential fact. And Avienda's like, hey, Shadow Man steel kills. It doesn't wound. And the older man looks at her, a little surprise in his eyes. And Egwene decided that alongside Lan, this man, that flicker of his eyelids was equivalent to another man's open astonishment. And Avienda's like, they know little of some things, Ruark. Older man being Ruark. Everyone's favorite Aiel. Just saying. it's That's not even in dispute. Everyone's favorite Aiel is Ruark. With maybe the exception of Gaul. Gaul's pretty freaking awesome, too. Um, and Elaine's like, I'm sorry that we interrupted your dance thingy. Um, your dance party. <laughs> maybe we shouldn't have interfered with it and stopped everything. But Egwene's like, started a little bit. But she sees what she's doing. She's like, oh, put them at ease. Give Nynaeve a chance to cool down. I, I get you. I get you. He's like, well, you were handling things quite well. But maybe we offended by putting our noses in. And Ruark, the graying-haired man, gives a chuckle. And he's like, oh, I said, I am glad. I, for one, am glad for whatever it is what you did. Um, and he's not sure what, but he's like... He has good temper, and he's like, oh, good smile, strong, square face. He's handsome, if a little old. I'm thinking, like, Jeremy Irons, but a redhead and taller. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a bad-looking dude, but, you know, he's he's got the silver fox look going on. He's like, well, we could have killed them, but three shadowmen? They would have killed two or three of us, certainly, maybe all of us. I can't say we would have been able to finish them all, but for the young, death is an enemy they wish to test their strength against. For the older ones of us, she's an old friend, an old lover, but one we're not eager to meet again soon. Speaking of death, anyway. Nynaeve's a little bit more relaxed with this speech, kind of explaining the mentality of an Aiel. And it's like, well, meeting an Aiel that's not anxious to die seems to make it a little easier for her. And he's like, Okay, I should thank you, but I'm a little surprised to see you here. Avienda, how did you expect to find us here? Like, what? And Avienda's like, well, I followed you. Not embarrassed about it at all. Like, I'm totally stalking you guys, but it's all good. Just to see what you would do. I saw the men take you, but I was too far back to help. I'm like, yes, because, like, the 20 men by yourself would have been a bit even for you. More than likely. Like, you could probably take out of them. 15 might be a little bit extra too much and you probably would have been harmed or whatnot and the women would still be unconscious regardless and he's like well I saw the men take you but I was too far back to help and I was sure you must see me if I came too close so I stayed 100 paces behind and by the time I saw you could not help yourselves it was too late to try alone and Egwene's like I'm sure you did what you could like <laughs> obviously like oh she's 100 just 100 paces behind us and the brigands never saw anything Aiel are very impressive. It's one of the reasons they're my favorite people group in this entire thing. And Avienda's like, well, I knew where Karam, or I knew where Karam must be, and I knew where Dale and Luane were, and they knew, and just kind of like looking around, I was like, but I didn't expect to find any clan chief, much less my own, among those who came. Hey, Ruark, who's leading the Tardad Aiel if you're here? <laughs> And Ruark's like, well, yeah, the Sept Chiefs will take their turns and try to decide if any of the truly wish to go to Ruidion when I die. 
You know, I wouldn't have come except that Amy's, Bear, Mullane, and Sienna all stalked me like ridge, crack, ridge cats after a wild goat. And the dreams are telling me that I must go. They asked if I truly wanted to die old and fat in bed. And Avienda thinks this is hilarious. She's like, well, I've heard it said that a man caught between his wife and a wise one often wishes for a dozen old enemies to fight instead. A man caught between a wife and three wise ones and the wife a wise one herself must consider trying to slay slight sight binder sight blinder sorry and i love this i when i read this i laughed my head off it's like the thought came to me <laughs> i'm just gonna go take on the dark one rather than face down four wise ones one of them being my wife <laughs> but he frowns on the floor and he sees the three great serpent rings and a much heavier golden ring made for a man's larger finger he's like yeah it still does all things must change but I would not be a part of that change if I could set my side of myself aside from it. The three eyes die traveling to Tyr. The Aiel glance at one another if they don't want Egwene and her companions to notice. And Egwene's like, well, you spoke of dreams. Do your wise ones know what their dreams mean? And he's like, well, some do, but if you would know more than that, you got to speak to them. Maybe they will tell an Aes Sedai, but they don't tell men except what the dreams say we must do. And he all of a sudden sounds kind of tired. He's like... And that is usually when we would avoid it if we could. So he stoops down to pick up the man's ring, and it's got a crane flying above a lance and a crown. And Egwene knows what it is. She's seen it before, dangling about Nynaeve's neck on a leather cord. Nynaeve steps up and just snatches it in the other ring's other hand, and her face is really flushed. Anger and a lot of other emotions, which we can guess what those are, for Egwene to read, but Ruark makes no move to take it back, but goes on with the same weary tone. He's like, And one of them carries a ring I have heard of as a boy, the ring of Malkiri kings. They rode with the Shinarans against the Aiel in my father's time. They were good in the dance of the spears. But Malkir fell to the blight. It is said only a child king survived, and he counts the death that took his land as other... Er, he courts the death that his took his land as other men court beautiful women. Truly, this is a strange thing, I said I. Of all strange sights, I thought I might see when Mullane hurried me out of my own hold and over the dragon wall. None has been so strange as this. It's about to get weird for you, Ruark, just telling you. The path you set me on, or the path you set me is one I never thought my feet would follow. And then he's like, I don't set any paths for you. All I want to do is continue our journey. And these men and horses, we'll take three of them and be on our way. And Ruark's like, but it's the middle of the night, I said I. Is your journey so urgent that you would travel these dangerous lands in the dark? And I'm like, you literally just got jumped by brigands. You're really eager to jump into somebody else's brigands prison? Like, really? <laughs> and maybe this time they did listen to their grandmother and knows how to knock you out. Like, who knows? And since you have Aiel here, who apparently respect you, they're probably going to protect you, considering they just fought brigands. Maybe it's a good idea. She's like, okay, we'll leave in the morning, though. So the Aiel carry the dead outside the palisade, and I imagine anybody who walks down the road and looks, sees that would look like odd. They don't want to sleep in any of the filthy beds that the brigands had, but they picked up their rings and slept under the, the night sky with their cloaks and with some blankets that the Aiel give them. And then dawn pops up in the east, and the Aiel produce breakfast of tough dried meat. They kind of hesitate because Avienda's like, are they cannibals or whatever? And Avienda's like, it's just, it's just goat, flatbread with 
The flatbread's about as difficult to chew as a stringy meat, and the blue-veined white cheese that had a tart taste, which I think is just supposed to be blue cheese, it was hard enough to make Elaine murmur that Aiel must practice by chewing rocks, which I think is funny, honestly. But Elaine ate just as much as Egwene and Eve, and then Aiel turned the horses loose, because they did not ride unless they had to. Sounding, er, Avienda's explaining this, sounding as if she would rather run on blistered feet than ride a horse. But after choosing three of the best for Egwene and the others, they were tall, nearly as big as war horses, with proud necks and fierce eyes. A black stallion for Nynaeve, a roan mare for Elaine, and a gray mare for Egwene. She decides to call the gray Mist. Not gray Mist, just the gray, the roan gray, the gray mare, I should say, Mist, in hopes that a gentle name might soothe her, and it did seem to. Mist seemed to step lightly as they rode south, so fits the name. Um, the Aiel accompanied them on foot, at least all those who had survived the fight. Three more had died, aside from the two that the Murdral killed. So there were 19 altogether. So keep in mind, 24 Aes Sedai attacked 100 brigands. So literally a quarter of them and slaughtered the 100. <laughs> Granted, the 100 weren't exactly garbed in armor and whatnot, or well-versed and trained and stuff necessarily. Some of them might be like retired guard or mercenaries or something, but all in all, they didn't have a whole lot of everything discipline otherwise. Not to mention, the Aiel had zero armor and are just downright deadly in every way possible. One one Aiel versus five men is an Aiel's battle every time, even if he doesn't have any weapons and they do. Like, he's just going to just wreck them. It's just, they're freaking awesome. I don't know how to say it otherwise. So they have 19 Aiel traveling with them, and they're just kind of loping alongside the horses. And Egwene's like, can we slow down to a slow walk to not lose them or anything? And the Aiel are like funniest. Avienda shouts to like, I will race you 10 miles and we shall see who wins, your horse or I. And Ruark laughs even harder. Is like, yeah, I'll race you 20. <laughs> and they're being serious too. And Egwene's like, oh, wow. So then her and the others walk at a quicker pace and the Aiel didn't have any problems sticking with them. But then when they get to the the sites of Jureen, Rourke's like, fare you well, I said I. May you always find water and shade. Perhaps we will meet again before a change comes. Now, here's the ironic part. is like, would the Aiel still honor? Because Avienda had um, told Nynaeve that she owes her a, a blood debt. And it's like, well, Dalen's dead now, so does she still hold to that? My opinion on the matter is yes, because the Aiel are wholly honor-bound. Like, it is their culture through and through, even if something shocks them, like later on we find out. They just hold to honor unless they're just abandoning honor, which the culture itself does not abandon honor. But I believe that Avienda would still, like, my sept will take care of you whatnot. Like, you, you've cared for my personal family, like my cousin. So because of that, you know... You're always welcome in my hold, my sept, and all that stuff. But he's like, hey, perhaps we will meet again before the change comes. And he, he sounds a little grim, but as they head south, Avienda and Chiad and Bane raise their hand farewell. I was like, well, where's Jolene? Um, or Jolene, or however you say the name. 
and they don't see they did not seem to be slowing down that they no longer ran with the horses if anything they ran a little faster and Egwene had suspicion that they meant to maintain that pace until they reached wherever it is they were going and she's like well, what do they mean by that like we mean before the change and Elaine's like I got nothing and he's like I don't even care what it means I'm just glad they came last night and I'm glad to have them gone I just want to get I hope there's a ship here and then we find out that Geraint is a very small place, wooden houses, nothing more than a single story. But the white lion banner of Andor flies over on a tall staff, and 50 of the Queen's Guard holds it in red coats with long white collars beneath shining breastplates. They had been placed there, at least what their captain said, to make a safe haven for refugees who wished to flee Andor. But fewer such come every day, and most go to villages further down river, closer to Erangil. I mean, it's a good women, or good thing that the women had shown up as they did, because he expected to receive orders to return his company to Andor at any moment. A few of the inhabitants of Jereen would likely go with them, leaving what remained for the brigands and Kyrian soldiers of warring houses. Elaine, you know, hides her face and her hood, and none of the soldiers seem to associate a girl with red gold hair with her daughter heir, because she's often either Tarvalon or she's in the palace. Like, not going to be here. Now, this gets really funny because. Um, a couple of men asked her, you know, to like stay and Egwene and Elaine, um, it was a nice, in a way to be asked, like she didn't desire to kiss any of these fellows, but it's pleasant to remind her that some men at least thought she was pretty as Elaine. Nynaeve slapped one man's face that made Egwene laugh and Elaine smiled openly and Egwene thought Nynaeve had been pinched and despite the glare on her face, she did not look entirely displeased either. So in other words, Nynaeve is happy to be desired by some random soldiers at that are just in the village. Like, she's like, hey, I'm attractive. They find me attractive. And even though I don't like what they're doing necessarily, I do not mind being, you know, appreciated. <laughs> I would say. But they don't wear their rings because Nynaeve had to, like, convince them that the one place they're going to, Tyr, they don't want to be seen or known as Aiel because channeling the one power is outlawed in Tyr. But also, news would spread pretty quickly with that as well. Um, and if the Black Odds are there, it'll still spread quickly. But, um... They have theirs in pouches and whatnot, and they constantly remind it, you know, it, it, hers specifically is in a pouch with the stone tear on Grail. Nynaeve had hers around her neck and in between her breasts with Land's ring. But they do see a ship, and it's a single, a single stone dock just sticking into the Arnon. And it's not the ship that Avienda had seen, apparently, but it was at least a ship. But Egwene was dismayed because it's twice as wide as the Blue Crane, and, and it's called the Darter. And it has a bluff bow as round as its captain. And the worthy fellow's like blinking and he's like, is it fast? I'm full of fancy wood from Shinar and rugs from Kandor. What need to be fast with cargo like that? Prices only go up. Now keep in mind, he doesn't know their eyes to die. So he doesn't really care. He's like, well, prices only go up. So I suppose there are faster ships behind me, but they'll not put in here. And I would not have stopped myself if I hadn't found worms in the meat. Coincidence? I think not. But they'll not put in here. Uh, or the other one's not put in there. But full notion that they'd have meat to sell in Kyrian. 
The blue crane? Yeah, I saw Elisor hung up on something upriver this morning. He'll not get off soon, I'm thinking. That's what a fast ship brings you. I'm like, well, if you're a trader, fast ships mean more trade faster, which means more profits faster, so... Whatever. Maybe he can hold more cargo. That that could be one benefit, but he's not going to do it fast. But Nynaeve pays their fares twice as much, again, for the horses, and her face is just not happy about the, putting the money out that basically no one wants to talk to her the rest of the trip. At least, at least well away from where they're at currently. Which is where the chapter will end. And that was chapter 39. So, um, we got to look a little bit into the Aiel and their culture. We got to hear about some Brigands who are making deals with Merdral because that wouldn't bother anybody, apparently. So they're probably dark friends or dark friend associated. Maybe the term is dark friend adjacent. I don't know. <laughs> but basically people who are evil but don't necessarily worship the dark one. Um, and yeah, we get that really cool little fight. We learn a little bit about the one power... Um, all those different things. But ultimately, um, it comes back down to, you know, the Aiel have their strange ways, but we get to learn and meet the uh, clan chief of the Tardad Aiel, um, same sept as, uh, I don't know if it's the same sept, same clan as Avienda. And um, we learn a little bit about what's going on back in the Aiel Waste with the Wise Ones and other things, and that the Wise Ones might have the ability to either understand their dreams or whatever. So all of those are kind of interesting, I guess. Um, and we're going to be switching in Chapter 40 to a different perspective, but in an almost similar area, I guess. Um, a little bit further down um, from where they currently are at Jareen. Um, but yeah, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. I know it was a little longer than it's been in a while for, there's a lot of pages to that and it's rare that that happens, but when it happens, it's like, I guess we're going to do this, aren't we? Um, so yeah, uh, we have, I think that's everything we covered. We covered, yeah, we covered everything. So let me know what you guys thought. Like I had mentioned earlier in the video, this is the part where I get to tell you how to get a hold of me. So um, you can reach out to me directly, which is talesofaredarm at gmail.com. You can also reach out through Twitter at talesofaredarm or on Facebook, which is just talesofaredarm. Um, I'd love to hear what your guys' thoughts are, your theories on the Balefire incident and whatnot, if it makes sense to you, if you think there's something I'm missing. You know, anything like that. Love to hear what you guys say. Um, maybe I can clear it up in a later episode. Something like that. But yeah, thanks guys for hanging out. Hopefully you will join me for Chapter 40 um, in the next episode. So you all have a fantastic rest of your day. And hopefully I'll see you in the next one. Until then. We drink all night and dance all day, and on the girls we'll spend our pay. And when we're done, then we'll await to dance with Jack of the Shadows.
We'll, we'll toss the dice however they fall When struggle that girls be they short or tall Then follow young Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll toss the dice however they fall Then struggle that girls be they short or tall Then follow Lord Matt wherever he calls To dance with Jack of the Shadows We'll give a yell with a bloody curse And hug the maids, it could be worse Let's ride away with the dark woods first To dance with Jack of the Shadows yeah. 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 Yeah.